Some Horned Frogs are headed to the NFL Combine. Hoops gets a much-needed win over West Virginia, and it is finally opening day week for college baseball. We're going to talk about all of that and so much more on this episode of Frogs Insider. Let's get into it. What's going on, Frog fans? Welcome back to another episode of Frogs Insider. I am Jamie Plunkett. She is Melissa Trebowasser. We are your hosts for this show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate each and every one of you. Melissa, it's like that best time of year where there's like all of the confluence of everything that's happening. There's a little bit of football. There's hoops obviously going on. Baseball's about to get underway. It's just like a really nice time of year where every single day it feels like there's more TCU stuff to talk about. Yeah, and it's awesome too because, you know, I don't really want to talk about the Super Bowl as a 49ers fan, but with the NFL, you know, kind of taking as much of a backseat as is possible for the NFL, which isn't much, um, but them quieting down, you really get to shine a spotlight on college sports right now. And it's mm-hmm. that's awesome. I think more people pay attention to college basketball, which is a lot of fun. You hear more national shows talking about college basketball basketball and you know with TCU looking like potentially a tournament team here you'll hear a little bit of horn frog talk occasionally that's fun um and then like you said like we were chatting before and I keep telling saying that the time I miss being in Fort Worth the most is a hundred percent baseball season I mm-hmm. miss being out at frog ball every weekend um and traveling to see games and stuff so this is always such a, a fun time of year and you know, we'll dive into it at the end of the show, but man, this is as high as much hype as we've had around a TC team in a while. When you talk about big names on this roster, returning superstars and a coach who really is just kind of in his bag in all areas, it seems like. So it, it's it, it's going to be a lot of fun to see this start to unfold and, and to get get opening weekend here. I'm I'm very pumped. Uh, you know, I'll be out there uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the Florida Gulf Coast series and Got to spend some time out there this week at practice, talking to talking to folks, and um, yeah, I'm 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 ready for baseball season. Yeah. I'm ready, for, and you know, you got you know the defending World Series champ Texas Rangers Ooh. have have pitchers and catchers reporting uh, at the time that people listen to this, and so uh, baseball is good. Baseball makes me feel good feelings inside, and we're just gonna hope that that lasts for as long as possible. Yeah. Before we jump into that, though, Melissa, we do have some football news to take care of and uh, obviously some sponsors and some podcast business to thank as well. We are, like I said, off the top, Frogs Insider, the TCU podcast for the Republic of Football Network, which is associated with Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find the podcast wherever you get your shows, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, some new streaming service that I don't know about because I'm old, wherever it is, all you got to do is search Republic of Network and the, the stream will pop up. You'll get our show along with a show for every D1 football program in the state of Texas. Very cool, awesome, and it's a lot of fun. If you just want Frogs Insider content, just search for Frogs Insider wherever you get your shows and our feed with just the TCU content will show up as well. Also, big shout out to Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel. Both of whom I am representing. You've got it. Yeah, I noticed that. In hat. this moment. You got the big sky sweatshirt. Obviously, the big sky hoodie. It's a classic. And then the new uh, baseball throwback TC logo hat. Oh, very nice. Oh, For those, right. Head into the microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those that are listening in an audio only medium, you did not see me just turn my head around to the cameras to show off this very awesome hat from Hell's Half Acre. Um, 
We'll talk more about those guys later on in the show. But Melissa, for now, let's jump right in because there was a little bit of news happening at the time of this recording on Tuesday night. And I think we talked about it on the last episode. TCU lost, TCU football uh, lost their general manager, uh, Anthony Crispino. He took a job up in Nebraska. Um, They have filled that position with uh, a man named Ryan Dorchester. Dorchester, if you have any connections into the football world, you probably know, is a longtime kind of right-hand man of Dana Holgerson. He knows Dana really, really well. Obviously, Dana and Sonny Dykes are very close. Um, and so Ryan Dorchester will come up and and take on that role for TCU football. So, you know, I think that I think there might be one more open position on staff, but really other than that, I think TCU football is kind of set as they get into spring workouts and eventually spring camp here in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's bringing in somebody with the amount of experience that Dorchester has is great. Uh, Bringing someone that has been around a coach uh, like Dana Holgerson is always um, a good thing. I I really want to know what his uh, opinions on Red Bull are. Um, I think that's an important thing to to include. But, um, you know, just jumping into his bio um, from his time at Houston, it seems like he has been with uh like he started with west virginia back in 2004 yeah managers this is a guy who's been around college football for a really really long time has a ton of experience just the exact kind of veteran voice that sunny dykes i'm sure will be happy to rely on and someone he obviously could bet out pretty easily because of his relationship with dana so yeah great Mm -hmm. move smart move good hire seems like a win yeah yeah it's behind the scenes position nobody's going to really see much of what he does but it's an important role and yeah. they've got that uh, they've got the guy to take care of it now so that's cool what people will see though when it comes to tcu football is later in the month of february when the nfl combine gets underway in indianapolis indiana six tcu horn frogs will be there the full list of combine participants was announced on tuesday morning and six horn frogs made it uh, amani bailey jared wiley miller bradford josh newton brandon coleman and andrew coker are all going to be up there participating in the combine yeah, that's, I mean, a lot of those seem like pretty much no doubters. It's, I think it's, there's more questions as the guys that didn't make it. Uh, I was shocked that Willis Patrick did not mm-hmm. get an invite with the other two guys that did. And Mark Perry had such a good kind of postseason. He had so many folks saying good things about his performance um, at the, uh, the uh, East West. Yeah. yeah, at the East West Shrine game. Um, but again, you know, he's not a guy that's going to test off the charts probably anyways. He's an instinct player, a smart high IQ player, not necessarily a guy that's going to run real fast or, or throw up a ton of reps. But uh, I still think he'll get some good looks at TCU's Pro Day, different things like that. But uh, like I said, Willis Patrick to me was a little bit of a surprise just because he certainly looks the part of a, of a potential professional uh, offensive lineman he does and he had a decent year at guard obviously tcu's offensive line wasn't great this season but he did have a decent year and and with perry too you know he i love his social media presence it's very subtle mm-hmm. um especially on twitter but he did make a tweet today that said the big 12 um pro day is going to be uh, a party or something like that and that's right they're doing the whole very excited. pro day this year that is maybe that's what yeah. i need to come down for is i won't i won't make it down the end of february you can thank my broken water heater for that one but uh but maybe maybe i can squeeze that out for a uh, big 12 pro day big 12 pro day would be a lot of fun you know what else would be a lot of fun melissa is meeting up for the big 12 media days in las vegas oh that's summer. happening 
That's a hundred percent happening. Yeah, for sure. I that's a no doubter. Saw the saw the news on that and saw the dates on that and immediately texted some buddies that I go to Vegas with um occasionally and said, Hey, here's the week that Big Twelve Media Days are in Las Vegas. And they all texted back with, Yeah, I got comp rooms for that week. Yeah, I can get comp rooms that week. Yeah, I can nice. get comp rooms that week. So it might just be a, a, a trip to Vegas on the docket for the middle of July. I did I did not see that those dates had been released, but I will be booking that week in Vegas for sure. Easily. It's the off season, right? It's the heat yeah. of summer. Hotel rooms are going to be cheap and it's an opportunity to do big 12 media days, which are always a blast. For sure. Uh, for sure. And and did they say where did we get, are we getting the spear? No, we're I getting, did uh, not. The Allegiant stadium. It's going to be Allegiant, Allegiant. stadium. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's where the Raiders play, where the Super Bowl just happened. So Melissa, you can maybe avenge. Uh, the 49ers by doing i don't know something on the field i don't know sure sure i don't know whatever making a tackle covering covering a receiver i don't know anywho completing um, a a pass on third and four without the offensive line completely collapsing i don't know i've been i was told all i was told all year that brock purdy was should have been the mvp that's Listen, what I was told all year. Look, we can we won't talk about this. <laughs> We're not going to get into it. I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to twist the knife. But Brock Purdy was not the problem. Brock Purdy was not great. Brock Purdy was not the problem. Uh, that that play call on uh, third and four, and then playing for the field goal at the end at the beginning of overtime, not knowing the overtime rules and taking the ball first. Now this was coaching malpractice. Brock Purdy wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. They could have won with him. He did he did not cost them the game. Christian McCaffrey fumbled on the opening drive. We're not going to talk about this, Jamie. We're not. Because you know what? We've got more important things to talk about. Melissa, you know what never has a bad game? Oh, you yes. know what yeah. never fumbles on the opening drive? Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. So true. Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods is elite. Perfect passer rating. Perfect rushing rating. Never fumbles a pass. Never drops a catch. Makes every tackle. Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods is a brand that was created with horn Frogs in mind and a a portion of all of their sales makes a direct impact on tcu student athletes if you go to hellshalfacresg.com you can check out all of their tcu gear they've got polos they've got shirts they've got really dope hats like the one i'm currently wearing they've got home goods they've got koozies they've got everything you need to get ready for a tcu game day um you know it's baseball season about to come up they have one of the coolest baseball polos you can possibly imagine. Go and get yourself one and get ready for baseball season. If you want to get in the football mindset here in the spring, they got a football polo that you can go and snag as well. They've got all of the things that you need. Just go to hellshalfacresg.com and tell them that Frogs Insider sent you. In the little note box where you can put a note at the time of purchase, just say, hey, heard about you guys from Frogs Insider. Just drop that little note in there. Say, Jamie and Melissa sent me here. And uh, that'll go a long way to supporting our awesome sponsor, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. Shout out to them. Shout out to them. Shout out to them for never having a bad day, unlike Kyle Shanahan, who has now blown three. Hey, we're moving. We're moving beyond. Leads in the Super Bowl. Anyways, (laughs) um, hey, you know who didn't blow a big lead? Who's that? DC men's basketball. Oh, my goodness. JB, it was so refreshing to watch this team play 40 minutes of very good, very consistent basketball to build a big lead, to build a halftime lead and then expand that lead 
down the stretch in the second half and have this thing in control. Uh, it was nice to be concerned with with four minutes left and the Frogs up nearly 20 points. Jamie Dixon had not taken his starters out, especially as two West Virginia starters hit the hit the ground. Um, but man, just what a just what a, a a solid Big 12 win at home. The kind of win that you need to get over a team like West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, West Virginia is not in good shape right now. No. They're now zero and six on the road in conference play. I think they're three and nine overall in conference play or something terrible like that. I think three, I don't even know how many games they've played at this point, but it's a, it's a very bad record. It's second to second to last in the conference standings. Yeah. First year head coach who I have not seen or heard a more defeated coach uh, at a post-game press conference in quite a while. Um, I mean, he came in, he sat down and his opening statement started with this is, this was where he started. And then he spiraled was we, came into this game knowing that we had to play with more desperation than TCU and they were the more desperate team and we just didn't want it at all. Hmm. And I was like, okay. Uh, and so he's sitting there in a press conference, which with, it's, it's just all TCU media folks. There's no West Virginia media yeah. representation there. He's talking to people who probably have not paid a ton of attention to his season. And so a couple folks are trying to ask questions about TCU and blah, blah, blah. And I just asked him, I said, you know, your, your roster has been decimated by NCAA transfer issues and injuries and all this other stuff. You know, what has that challenge been like on top of the fact that you're a year one head coach in the best conference in the country? Um, and, and, and there, you know, just the adversity level feels really, really high. It almost feels as high, frankly, as what TCU women's hoops has been going yeah. through. Um, with the level of injuries and issues that they've had. And he was just, uh, I mean, he, he, he couldn't have sounded more pitiful if he had tried. I feel, I felt, I felt bad for the guy afterwards, but TCU needed this win. They really, really, truly did. Um, they got uh, a really great performance, especially in the first half from Jameer Nelson Jr., who Jamie Dixon put back in the starting lineup for Avery Anderson. Dixon says that that's not a big deal because he wants all three of his guards Nelson Anderson and Trey Tennyson to get roughly 25 minutes a game. Um, those three guards have done a really good job this year of at least publicly not caring about who is starting. Um, Nelson said it when he was coming off the bench, he goes, my minutes haven't changed and that's what matters. Um, but Nelson did get the start on uh, Monday, 10 points in the first half, a couple of assists, a couple of steals. He had four block shots in this game and he only had two turnovers. He looked inspired. He looked reinvigorated. And he did a tremendous amount to help TCU establish an early lead and then maintain it and grow that lead in the second half with his gameplay. It was really impressive. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like in coaching, you always say it's not who starts, it's who finishes. And I think that, that what I've really appreciated about Jamie Dixon that I don't feel like we've seen as much in years past is he's willing to ride the hot hand. And he's willing to play the guy that's playing the best basketball on any given night, whether that's changing up the starting lineup or changing out the closing lineup. You know, we've, we've gotten games where we haven't seen Chuck hardly at all. And we've had games where he's played really significant minutes. Um, he's going to need a week and a half off after, after that block and that dunk that he had Tuesday and Monday night. Uh, yeah. That dude, like I, I, he's almost my age. I mean, he's not, but it seems like he should be close to my age. If I leave my feet, I'm out for four or five days. So I don't know how he, he got up twice like that. Business uh, days. That doesn't yeah, include weekends, right? It does yeah. not include weekends. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, but, but it's, it's been really, 
interesting to watch Jamie Dixon kind of manage this roster because they are legitimately 10 players deep. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are 10 guys that that you can expect to see in almost any given game that you might see in the first 12 minutes of any given game and and managing the egos along with the minutes I think that he's you can do a lot of questioning about how some of these games have gone with the play on the court but his ability as far as roster management I think has been exceptional this year I agree and I think part of the reason you you made a note to say um you know he isn't afraid to ride the hot hand more so this year than in years past. And I think it has a lot to do with that depth that you were talking about because in years past, he didn't really have a choice, but to ride Desmond Bain's hot hand or Mike miles or Damian Baugh's hot hand. And this year he, he legitimately has four, five, six options. who can go get you 20 on any given night. And all you really need is at least one of those guys to go and get that for you to have an opportunity to win a basketball game. On Monday night, they had they had three guys get 14, which is equally as as fun and, and impressive with Nelson, Emmanuel Miller, and Trey Tennyson all getting to that 14-point mark. Jacoby Coles adding 11. He's got double digits for yeah. four games in a row now. He's he, been he's dealing looking, with – yeah. He's, he's, he's working his way back and, and we got a chance to talk to Jacoby after the game. And you know, he's a guy that we haven't really had a chance to interact with recently. He's been dealing with plantar fasciitis all season. And so by the time that they got to that trip in Hawaii, he said that it was just, the pain was out of control. He wasn't managing it well. And he just needed a couple of weeks off to kind of figure out a way to manage that, that foot injury. And, he basically came out and said after the game against West Virginia, I'm starting to really feel confident in what I'm doing to make sure that my foot's taken care of. And we're seeing that on the court. I mean, he still has defensive lapses. The whole team does. We're going to get into that in a second, but what he provides from an offensive uh, standpoint, especially when you're talking about mid range jumpers, footwork in the paint, and then obviously the ability to stretch the floor with the three as well. He's one of the more versatile scorers on this squad. And the the more that they can get him engaged in scoring early, I think the better this offense will continue to be. Yeah, I, I mean, he's just, he's such a tough matchup because he's a guy that can put it on the deck. He's a guy that can hit from outside. Um, he's a really good passer. He's got great court vision. Uh, I think he does a lot of things well. And he's clearly a difference maker for this team because they have not looked as good when he has not been, you know, at whatever level close to 100% that he's capable of being in right now dealing with the uh, with the plantar fasciitis. So yeah. uh, it, it, it's fun to see a well-rounded team. It's fun to see so many guys that can come in and make an impact. Uh, but you kind of touched on this. And I think that there's a lot of things going on defensively. And I, every broadcast I've listened to, you know, the last like two weeks to talk about, well, this isn't a vintage Jamie Dixon team on the defensive end of the floor. Oh, this, this isn't the defensive stalwarts that we're seeing. And and they're not wrong. And, you know, I, I'm curious how much of that has to do with there not being a lot of consistency in how the lineup comes in and out of the floor. I don't think that's the main issue, but I do think that there is part of it is that this team still doesn't kind of have that unspoken unity on the court as far as being able to anticipate each other's moves defensively. There There is a lot of kind of like hesitation before mm-hmm. their rotations. I see that. I think that also has to do with, I just, I, I think the guard play defensively just isn't physical enough up top and they're not very good at, at stopping penetration. And when they do, uh, when they do, when they do get by the first level of that defense, we haven't really seen a, a rim defender step up. I, I thought by this point, the season Uday would be a little bit more 
of a, a stalwart in the paint, and he's just not there yet, and that's fine. I mean, I, I don't think anyone expected him to be a, a massive impact player this fall, but with the way that TCU guards play, and they're a little reachy, and they're a little bit, they, they go for the steals a little bit, they, they don't necessarily move their feet, and they're not big guys, they're not super physical. You need a rim protector back there that you can count on, and Uday's just not ready to be that guy, and Mustafa is, is not, that's not his game. I think Cork has done really, really well in that regards in spots. But again, we saw this last year when Lampkin left that that he's not a five. Mm-hmm. You know, he is defensively, he's not a five. Um, he's great in a small ball lineup, especially on the offensive end of the floor. But uh, the, the way that TCU guards have been playing and, and just their inability to consistently pressure the ball up top and they don't have that back end rim protector that can kind of make up for those mistakes. I, I just think, I think rotations have been slow hasn't been physical enough and and then when guys do get past that first level there just isn't there isn't that big guy in the middle that can really make you think twice about going to the rim and and teams just are able to attack pretty freely yeah you know we we talked before the season started about some of these new guard additions and i think i made a note at that point that avery anderson was going to be able to come in and be one of those really physical long perimeter defenders that TCU needed in the absence of a guy like Damian Ball. And we've seen a lot of inconsistency from him to the point where Dixon has said publicly multiple times that he feels Trey Tennyson is their best defensive guard right now. And you can tell from a matchup perspective that they truly believe that on the coaching staff because once again on Monday night, who was the first guy that had to step up and guard Kirk Creesa and Raekwon Battle? It was Trey Tennyson. And Micah Peavy, obviously, as well. Sure. But it wasn't Anderson. When Nelson came in the game, he wasn't guarding the shooter either. It was more of an off-ball responsibility for those two guys, while Trey Tennyson was the guy guarding the scorer. And Tennyson is a great he, – he's come a long way defensively. Yeah. Um, but like you said, he is and, – and none of these guards outside of Micah, I guess, if you consider him a guard. Yeah, but she's not a guard, a but he's a guard, yeah. Um, they're, they're just not there defensively. My question, too, is – what is causing, and maybe it is a continuity thing like you were talking about, but one of the things I noticed this team doing pretty frequently is is either they're ball watching and they get backdoored on a cut or they're late on a rotation to an open shooter. Um, and it feels like there are moments where a guy gets caught behind a screen, but in reality, the majority of the time, it's just they're a step slow. And at this point, when you're, I mean, it's February 13th, the day we're recording this, you shouldn't be a step slow rotating anymore. You should understand your responsibilities. What What's kind of going on there? I mean, to me, the thing I always talk about <clears throat> basketball is helping the helper. And I think that's where TCU has really kind of been lacking is that they do a decent job. You know, Tennyson's a perfect example of this. He's not a guy that's going to shut down a player, but what he's really good about doing is moving his feet and staying in his position, right? Like he does a decent job of holding his position. His job is not to stop an elite guy like Raekwon Battle, right? Mm-hmm. Like he can, he can trouble, he can trouble a shooter. He can get in somebody's face. He can close out pretty well. He does a pretty decent job of that. But but he's going to get beat by a, a good ball handler, a more physical guy going to the basket. So then that help slides over, right? And I think we generally see the first level of help for TCU get to where it needs to be. But then what happens, and this is where you see the back doors, this is where you see a lot of the pocket passes that are happening in the paint. I think a lot of those kind of that, that low to low passing action that we see a lot along the baseline because the help, the helper guy isn't dropping in. It's that second level of help where I think TC really just hasn't quite figured it out, uh, which again, I think it's really unusual for a Jamie Dixon team. I think part of that is uh, that a lot of these guys that came in, like 
let's I, I have not I have not watched a single minute of film of Jameer Nelson at Delaware, but I can about guarantee you a dude that was scoring almost 30 points a game was not asked to be a defensive stopper and was probably not in a lot of second tier help situations. Um, and watching his dad play for 15 years in the NBA is not not his specialty, right? Um, a guy like like Avery Anderson is more of an aggressive, more of a physical, he's a length guy. He's a guy that's used to getting in passing lanes, getting deflections. He does a good job of that for TCU. He's probably not dropping down into his right position help-wise. And then the bigs, for as much as we talk about, you know, the depth at that position, Mustafa is a first-year guy who's who's jumping up to a much different type of league. You do not see a lot of elite big man passers or, you know, a lot of elite inside play probably who he's playing at Coastal Carolina, no offense to, to that level of basketball. Um, you know, Xavier Court has had to step in, but it's not his natural specialty. He doesn't still understand kind of how to put his fa- his foot on the baseline and stop that penetration from getting by him. And you see him get beat a lot baseline. You see all TC players get beat a lot baseline. Uday is still, frankly, learning the game of basketball in a lot of ways, right? He's gotten better but defense takes a lot more experience than than offense other than just being able to say, I'm the biggest dude in the gym and I'm just going to go up and block shots. He's great at that. But when he doesn't get that block, he's exposing that backside. It's like protecting the weak side of the goal, you know, mm-hmm. in hockey or soccer, right? And that's where if you watch TCU's getting beat time and time again, kind of on that that back post um, play. And so I think that there's a combination of guys aren't, aren't rotating quick enough. Like you said, there's a ton of ball watching that's just that's not necessarily iq that's not necessarily scheme that is a little bit of trusting your teammates but it's also just a lot of being locked in and that's something that this team has not consistently done for 40 minutes is be locked in we've seen this in every game where there's been those those four or five minute runs it seems like even on games that they've played well where they've just kind of fallen asleep at the wheel we saw at the beginning of the iowa state game in fort worth we saw it you know, down the stretch, well, multiple times. We saw several four-minute stretches when I when they were up in Ames last weekend. So um, I think it's a combination of all those things, but I think the help, the helper is where this team is really lacking. And it's not necessarily a hard thing to teach. It's a really hard thing to get guys to buy into, especially when you have a team that loves to run as this much as this one, because when they all get sucked into the paint, you're not getting those fast break points. And so I think that that kind of is the final level of this is guys are waiting for the rebound. They're waiting for the outlet. They're waiting for the deflection because they want to get out and run. They're not all willing to necessarily collapse into the paint, make the defensive play, and then get out and run. And I think that's where maybe TCU misses Mike Miles more this Mm -hmm. year than we anticipated Mm -hmm. because he, frankly, had a top-end speed that was very rare in college basketball. And so he was capable of getting down into the block, getting a rebound or getting the ball from a big and still being able to get out ahead of defenders who are trying to get back. That's a great point. And we, we haven't seen any of these guards do that this season. Part of that is speed. Part of that, like you said, are the, the struggle and the challenge of staying locked in consistently. And I think a third part of that too is some of some of these guards, specifically Nelson and Anderson, were relatively turnover prone at their last stop. Mm-hmm. We've seen them be relatively turnover prone at times this year, even though their points per possession for both Nelson and Anderson are the highest that they've ever had in their career. And their assist to turnover ratio in less than a full season at TCU has gone from one to one to two to one which is a wild jump to make at this point in their collegiate careers. So they have improved dramatically from who they were before they got here. That being said, 
I think that there's still some decision-making that's questionable with the, hey, I've got the ball. I'm at midcourt. The defense isn't set yet. I'm going to try and go without recognizing that, oh, I'm running into a two-on-four or I'm running into a three-on-five right now instead of it being an advantageous fast break opportunity. And so then you see, and we saw this a couple times on, on Monday night against West Virginia, where guys were trying to push it because they want to get on the fast break so bad, but they were running into a double team mm-hmm. and they were turning the ball over, or they were, they were running into a double team, picking up their dribble and then trying to find a guy to pass it to. And there was nobody there. Um, these guards, I think are still really learning how to be point guards and not just guys who have the ball in their hand and they can go score and create. Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent point. I, I'm going to challenge TCU fans watching the game Saturday at Kansas State. Tough place to play. Uh, Kansas State's been better than probably was expected, but still very vulnerable, but really, really good at home. Two things I think I think people should watch for to become you know a better understanding of basketball. Number one, like you said, how often are is TCU fast breaking into a disadvantageous situation? How often are they fast breaking in a, when they're the the two on three as opposed to the three on two or the two on four? Like you said, I think that's great that that happens a lot. Second part of that is how many times do you see TCU's guards getting a foot in the paint defensively? Mm. Because I think those are the two. I think those are the two easiest ways to kind of quantify where these issues lie. Are, are we making good decisions? We get out and run, and and are our guards dropping into the paint? defensively because that's that's the help the helper is that backside guard needs to have a foot in the paint and then be able to close out on those three-point shooters they've done a pretty decent job against the three overall this season been a pretty good defensive team so we know they have the ability they're good closing out they're very very good at closing out um, they close out the right way so mm-hmm. those are the two things i think i'm going to really try to pay attention to on saturday um, i think that's a good thing for tcu fans to watch to see you know are we picking up on the right things here and is tcu kind of progressing in that area because they're they're in a pretty perilous position. I mean, it was it was two weeks ago when we talked about those last ten games, and I think I think you were in that seven and three, six and four kind of mm-hmm. range, and I think I was in that five and five, six <clears throat> and four kind of range. Um, you know, now now we're looking at this, and we're we're down to the home stretch. They've got two, four, six, seven games left. Uh, four of those are on the road. Texas Tech just put an absolute, I mean, just dominated Kansas in so many ways. Yeah, uh, in Lubbock. Uh, that at, at Kansas State, it's not going to be easy. At BYU, isn't going to be easy. And we all know TCU's never won at West Virginia. I don't care how bad the Mountaineers are. Until, until you do it, you have never done it. So mm-hmm. uh, this is this is a tough stretch for, for the Frogs if they want to be a tournament team. They're still right where they need to be, but they're not going to have a lot of easy ones left. So uh, if they can pick it up on the defensive end, keep playing offense the level they're capable of, they're certainly going to get there and be a problem. But they also could very easily fall out of this thing completely over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, you. I mean, you could say that too about a handful of Big Twelve teams every, at this point, right? Every Big I think. Yeah, I think sure. Texas and Oklahoma and uh, Kansas State and um, BYU and a couple of other schools. Cincinnati's probably in that conversation. Are all yeah. teams where these last handful of games are going to be critical to whether you're in or you're in the NIT. Um, and the good news is, is that I think we've seen enough proof of concept from TCU at this point to know that there's there, there's a capability of reaching another level, mm-hmm. right? We saw that against Houston. We saw that at home against Texas Tech. Um, 
they've got to put it together more consistently. Yeah. And I kind of like the fact that they had a Monday game this week so that they have a little bit of extra time to a ride the high of a win after a couple bad, mm-hmm. bad losses, and then B put it together a little bit more on the practice court to uh, get ready for this Kansas state game. And we also didn't talk about this and, and I don't want to dwell on this for, for too much longer just because we've, we've got a baseball preview to get to, but there's something to be said for the impact of um, a coach not being there at some point. Mm-hmm. And last week, Jamie Dixon's dad passed away um, about a week and a half ago now, and uh, probably eight, nine days ago now. And so he left to go back to California to be with his dad, be with his mom, um, you know, be there with his family in those moments. Um, and I think, you know, first of all, I think our, I, I speak for both of us when I say that our hearts are with, with Jamie and his family as they grieve. Um, but also I think that impacts a team when you know that your head coach is, you know, grieving like that yeah. and hurting like that, uh, you know, that, the ripple effect of loss is real. And I think that there are moments where that maybe gets overlooked mm-hmm. when you're talking about sports. Yeah. Um, not saying that that's why they lost basketball games or anything like that, but it does have an impact yeah. on, on your team. Obviously that's very secondary guys, to, yeah. to what else is going on, but. These guys love Jamie. I mean, that's the one thing that like this team's absolutely adore this man. And, and, you know, he's such a father figure for so many of these guys. I'm sure that they were certainly hurting alongside him. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that obviously makes things more difficult too. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Our thoughts are with uh, the Dixon family, extended family. And of of course with coach um, as he uh, deals with the loss of a parent. So uh, you made my transition really awkward, Jamie. Um, I'm sorry. I just, I, we, I had to say it. I had to talk, I had to talk about it um, because it's important. And I know that TCU folks are firmly in, in Jamie Dixon's corner as he, as he goes through that. And now I'm going to do an ad read. I mean, yeah, just rip the bandaid off. Just, just do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, just do it. All right. I, I can't even do like a segue because then it's just going to seem insensitive. Um, so I'm just going to no, talk about so yeah, don't don't apparel. try and don't yeah, don't try and segue that. No, not going to try and segue. We're just going to talk about home field apparel. Um, uh, you know, like so we've got great sponsors, great people support the podcast, support the public of football uh, network as a whole. Home field apparel. We're both big fans. We both have spent far more money than we care to admit. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, to on on home field apparel. You've got the big sky hoodie. I'm rocking the TCU basketball. Uh, the old school basketball frog. Perfect shirt for the conversation we just had. Such a great shirt. Um, uh, Long sleeve bomber jackets. I've got my home field uh, uh, joggers on as well. Um, I I love the brand, support the brand. They they make great high quality stuff. Um, It is is pricey because it's high quality, but if you use the code FROGSIN15, F-R-O-G-S-I-N-1-5, you can save 15% off your first order, 10% off every uh, every additional order. Um, It is, you know, college acceptance season and college rejection season, but we won't get into that. Um, And so your favorite high school senior uh, is very likely going to attend a college that Homefield represents because they have absolute just dozens of them. So check them out. Use FROGSIN15 to save 15%. 
that um, and get yourself some of the softest and most comfortable and coolest looking long sleeve shirts, short sleeve shirts, doggers, bomber jackets, hoodies, crew decks, hats, and all of it. Hats. That's the home field dad hat back there. Oh, yeah. You got all the good hats. So hey, look, I had so the home field hat, because shout out sponsors. Um, baseball hat, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Flying T Club subliminal obviously. messaging. So yeah, perfect. You know. Cool. Uh hey, speaking of baseball. Ladanian Tomlinson, because obviously the goat. Because obviously, because the goat. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh but speaking speaking of baseball hats, uh yeah. new new frog script, purple jersey is killer. I gotta get myself one of those. Oh, it looks that's, so good. Yeah, that's that's getting ordered. That's gonna be spending some money on that. It's be supporting another brand. Um but man, JB, like I've I've been loving reading all of your preview work uh, on two four seven Horn Frog Blitz. Uh, you obviously nobody covers baseball more than you do. Uh, you might be the only person that. that covers baseball. Um, you know, shout out to to the rest of everybody that shows up. But uh, but it's it's you you are there almost every single uh, game night. You have a great relationship with Kirk Sarlus. Uh, listen, I'm gonna rib you on this though, because how oh how upset were you? I, I could not believe when the when I saw the social media drop of our friends at the Lumpton Drinking Club and Sarloose dropping <laughs> the weekend rotation after you had been teasing it all week. Like I know you do, but you had been kind of holding out, and our 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 pals at the LDC got Sarloose to spill the beans on their podcast. No, but I love that. I love that for them. Uh, killing me. The, it was. Funniest, I just thought it was so funny. No, the funniest thing about that is I love I love the Lupton guys so much. They're great human beings, and their passion for TC baseball, frankly, is is unmatched. And it's they true. do a wonderful job with their show. Um, <laughs> and I also love it because I know every time they record, because they always text me. Yep about recording the show of course and so they recorded that i guess on monday and my phone just bling 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 and it's like oh sarlos just gave us the starting rotation and it's oh did, you, you'll never believe it sarlos just gave us the starting rotation here it is and I, I love them for that um and i love also that tcu baseball has a head coach who is yeah. willing to go on podcasts and do interviews and you know, kind of just shoot the shit with yeah. people um, to promote the brand. Yeah. And also just because that's genuinely his personality and his kind of character level. Um, so yeah, no ill will I, towards the Lupton I, guys. That was, was freaking awesome. It was and, so funny. Uh, it just, I haven't listened to the episode yet, but I need to get in there and do it. Yeah, I, I was sitting there, I was like, I know Jamie has had this info or pretty much had this info. And I know that he's been, you know, like kind of teasing, because uh, TC doesn't normally drop this early. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've read Horn Frog Blitz and I've been in there and I've seen you comment. And, and then for Kirk just to casually be like, oh yeah, it's going to be Toy Clecker. And, and you know, just like, like, dude. But, but this is what I loved about that. And it, whether it's you, whether it's the LDC, whoever it is, I thought it was really cool that he released it to the people that cover TCU mm -hmm. before D1 Baseball had it. And I, Kendall does amazing things covering it. I loved, I loved so Kendall's good. scoop tweet. Yeah, his scoop tweet nine hours later. Yeah. And we, uh, listen, Kendall's <laughs> great. And he what he, what D1 Baseball has done for college baseball oh, it's cannot be unmatched. overstated. Like mm -hmm. college baseball is as, as big as it is, is growing as much as it, D1 Baseball deserves so much credit for anybody for getting people passionate about this yeah. sport. But I love that it went to TCU first, to, to the folks that, that love and cover the sport first. And then nine hours later, he got to scoop it. But I, mm -hmm. I thought that was so funny. Um, and I love that the LDC guys, a couple other folks jumped in there to let him know his scoop was a little a little late. Yeah. But, but Jamie, 
all that being said, all of the ribbing, all of, all of the love we have for those guys, uh, nobody knows more about this program right now than you do. That's that's unquestionable. Um, and, and you've been out there. You've been dealing with the position battles. I, there's a couple things I want to know about. And again, I've read everything, but I still have some questions here. Um, there, there's two areas that I have. Well, there's three things I'm really ultimately concerned about. I feel great about our catching situation. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of, uh, not unproven, but there's a lot of change with the pitching, but I feel really, really good about the guys we have available and the depth that we have available. I'm super excited about the weekend rotation. I know you want to talk about that. I feel mm-hmm. better about our Tuesday night starter than I have in a really, really long time. Thanks. Um, I feel great about our closing situation. Um, I feel really good about all of those things. I have a lot of concern about mm-hmm. corner infield. Mm-hmm. And I still Fair. have a little bit of concern about the outfield position. Um, I, I, I really want to see what Luke Boyers can do at the plate this year because there's so much depth in this lineup and he has been so streaky that mm-hmm. if he can consistently bat in the high 270s even, right? He's so good defensively and he's so important with his ability to get on base and he never strike, you know, he, he, he walks so much and he does so many good things. Um, but, but I just think there's so much talent available. It, it's going to be really interesting to see if he can hold on to that role. So talk to me about the corner infield, talk to me about, about Luke, talk to me, uh, and then, and then tell us, tell us what we need to know to get us ready for this weekend. Okay. Let's start. Uh, let's start with the outfield since you brought up Luke Boyers, um, Logan Maxwell left field, True freshman Chase Brunson, center field. Ooh, so Luke about Boyers, him. Luke so Boyers, about right Chase. field. Yeah. Um, uh, just kind of one quick note about each of them. Logan Maxwell's goal this year is just to stay healthy. He was yeah. a 300 hitter last year in 100 at bats. So it was a relatively small sample size compared to some other guys that were out there. But the reality is, is that he's a decent defender. He's got some good speed and he's got a, he's got a good bat. Um, he's not going to hit you know, 10, 15 home runs, but he is going to get on base. He's going to do the right things when he's running the bases, that kind of stuff. He's got to stay healthy. That's kind of his yeah. goal this year. Brunson in center field has probably the hardest, if not the second hardest job on TCU baseball this year, and that's replacing Elijah Nunez, yeah. um, who was a four-year starter at TCU, was absolutely electric, um, both defensively and on the bases, and was kind of the energy guy, the hype man, um, the grit really of TCU baseball for so long. And, um, you know, I had a chance to talk to TJ Bruce a little bit today and, uh, you know, he, he brought up Brunson almost unprompted just to say like, this is a, he's young, but he gets it and he's going to be really good. And so there are probably going to be times there with him where mistakes are going to happen. He's not going to have the greatest at bats at times because he's jumping up. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked to so many college baseball players and, and players that have gone on to play beyond college who have said the jump from high school to college is probably the biggest jump you make in your baseball career. Yeah. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see. TCU was spoiled with the level of freshman class they had last year because they all seemed to make the jump pretty easily. Will that be the same uh, for Chase Brunson this year, I think based on what I saw from him in the fall, there's a good chance he's going to be a, a really fun player to watch right out of the gate for TCU. Yeah. He certainly then, has the maturity, right? Yeah, like, I, I mean the athletic sure. maturity, the mental yeah. maturity, the emotional maturity. But but we remember Elijah did some incredible things as a freshman. He looked like a freshman sometimes too, mm-hmm. and, and that's going to happen. Run, 
Yeah, the run of center fielders we've had at TCU is unbelievable, but this kid yeah. certainly looks like he has an opportunity to be special. Yeah, he really does. And, and I'm very excited to see, you know, kind of how his freshman year bears out because I think it could be it could be really entertaining. Uh, and then you get to Luke out in, in right field. And like you said, he's had some some really cold, streaky moments at the plate. Um, but people really forget that his freshman year, I mean, he was a 300 hitter. Yeah, He got on base incredibly well. Um, the strikeouts have plagued him over the last few seasons for sure. Um, but he is a plus defender in the outfield. He uses his speed really, really well defensively. Um, and I think that it's important to note too, the run in the college world series ended Luke Boyers took, I think like a week, a week and a half off and then went right back to work, retooling his swing. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a there's a parallel there that I think Sarlos and the rest of the coaching staff are hoping plays out this year where a couple seasons ago, Tommy Sacco came back for his fifth year, had really struggled and been streaky at the plate, very good defensive infielder. And so he was going to keep his spot in the lineup simply for defense, um, but they needed to see more from him with the bat. He spent all offseason retooling his swing. He came back and he had a very impressive final year of college mm -hmm. baseball. That's my hope for Luke Boyers. I don't think he's going to get to the point where he's hitting, what was it, eight, 17, 18, 19 home runs like yeah. Sacco did. But I think that if he can just m minimize the strikeouts, get on base more consistently, he can be a really productive player in this lineup. We know what he's going to bring to the table defensively already. And I think that version of Luke Boyers is more than good enough to be a major contributor to this team in 2024. Um, and that's that's how I hope his season bears out because I think a lot of times fans kind of focus on, on the stats so much or focus on what they're seeing in the game that they forget that you know there are intangibles in baseball more so I think than other sports simply because of the roster size and you know how often you are together and how long your season is. Uh, you know, he is one of those guys that never has a bad day. Yeah, he shows up with the right attitude and the right mentality every single day. He has been an incredible mentor to a lot of these younger players over the years, and uh, he's going to get his shot. And he just he deserves to get his shot in his final year. Um, and so you know, I, we'll see with him. I think that he's done everything right this offseason to try and get better where he needs to get better. And now he's going to have the opportunity to show us whether that whether that work has paid off or not. Yeah, I think I, I don't think there's anyone out there that's not rooting for him. And and I think it's just, you know, if he can even just take the strikeouts down, which you had a great note about how one of the things that TJ Bruce is kind of changing with the approach at the plate for these guys and that they're not just sitting on waiting on fastballs, but they're going to look to attack the pitcher's best pitcher to anticipate what they're going to throw in situations and not be mm -hmm. afraid to go swinging at a slider or whatever else. Like, I think that that was a great note that you had. Um, and so that might help Boyers too, just a, a change in the way that they're looking instead of kind of waiting to see if he can draw a walk. Maybe he can be a little bit more aggressive early in the count, get some favorable opportunities. Um, just put the ball in play, right? Just put yeah. the ball in play. Good things happen when you put the ball in play. Um, corner, first and third. You're replacing one of the all-time greats at TCU at third base. Yes. And you've got a bunch of new faces vying to take over Braden Taylor's position. And he was so unbelievably good defensively last mm -hmm. year, just, and, and obviously offensively one of the elite players in the sport. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about replacing one of the best players in program history. Um, 
pitcher or yeah or fielder yeah. right he's probably top top 10 all time if not higher yeah oh, if, oh god the Latin guys might get on me for that one um because i think they probably all have him in top five and rightfully so but uh the competition at third base i think has I think we're going to see a couple of guys get a shot there. Um, Brody green had one of the best falls um, I can remember for a TCU baseball player. He was excellent defensively. His bat was red hot. He was doing all of the right things consistently throughout fall camp. Um, From what I understand, the bat has maybe cooled off a little bit this spring, but he's still probably the best defensive option that you have at third base right now. Um, Jack Basir, Pepperdine transfer. Uh, he was a freshman at Pepperdine last year. Um, played mostly first base for them, but he's more of a true third baseman. Uh, his bat has been red hot this spring. Mm. Absolutely on fire. Um, but he has defensive lapses at times. And so you've got this opportunity maybe to roll with Basir in the early innings for the offense. And then when things tighten up a little bit in the later innings, all right, Brody Green's going to be your guy. He can still hit. Uh, he, he's he's really capable at the plate, but you can trust the defense and, and the glove a little bit more, I think. Um, so I think there might be an opportunity there for both guys to get some playing time this weekend um, as, as the coaches still try to kind of sort that position out. And the good thing about Brody Green, too, is that over the course of his time at TCU, he's worked out a ton at shortstop. He's worked out a ton at second base. So if there's a day where Peyton Chatagnier needs a day off, you can probably slide Brody Green into second base yeah. if you don't want to slide a younger guy in there. If Silva needs a day off, you know you can throw Brody Green at shortstop, and you're not gonna. I mean, Anthony Silva's an elite middle infielder yeah. defensively, so you know take that for what it's worth. But you're still gonna get good, consistent defense from Brody Green if he's having to play shortstop on a on a given day. He can play first base. Right, so if there are issues at first base, uh, he can step in and play there. So he's got the ability to really be a true utility guy, which I think makes him more valuable in the long run this season because guys are going to need rest, they're going to need days off, and Brody Green is going to be a guy who can kind of step in and, and fill some of that role. Um, but I think to start the season, you're going to see Basir and Brody get the opportunity to you know kind of go and win that job or continue to kind of share that role. Ryder Robinson's another kid. He's a true freshman who has a lot of talent. He made some spectacular plays in the fall as well. Um, but I think there's a hope there that, that they can kind of preserve him uh, for the for the coming seasons as well. Um, so we'll see we'll see how he kind of plays into the mix there. Um, but he's a, a super talented, super talented true freshman out of Utah. Something about Utah kids about coming Utah to TCU that, yeah. uh, that you know TCU kind of hits home runs with those kids. Um, over at first base, I, I mean Curtis Burns going to be your day one first baseman. Um, he's not listed as a catcher on the roster anymore on GoFrogs.com. He's listed as a utility guy. I was giving him grief about that uh, the other day. I said, "Hey, Mister Utility," because I can do it all. And um, I he works. He had at shortstop. For, uh, oh, nobody wants that. Uh, I will say this. I will say this. Curtis Burns looks healthier than I've ever seen Curtis Byrne. And I know that players say all the time, oh, he's in the best shape of his life. I feel great. I've been working, blah, blah, blah. He just looks healthier. 
And when I mean just the way he moves, like he's moving more free. If you watched him at all last year, oh yeah, the, you could tell second base. Was you could tell his concerning. back was never a hundred percent. Right, he dealt with back issues all year. It's part of the reason Carson Bowen started fifty-two games, fifty-four games behind the plate last year. It's because Curtis's back was in bad shape. He is much more fluid. He's running faster. He looks healthier this year. He's lost no, no a couple offense. pounds. No offense to Curtis, he could not run slower. <clears throat> you know, like- <laughs> that's true. He did unhitch the trailer a little bit. Um, but uh, so he's going to be your first baseman. They worked him out really hard at first base all fall camp to try and get him ready. Carson was banged up for most of the fall, so he didn't get as much work at first, although they've done a little bit with him over there this spring because the ideal situation, I think, for Sarlos is neither of those guys catching more than 35, 40 games this year. Um, And so when one's behind the plate, ideally you have the other one at first base. If one of those guys gets a day off, you've got Gabe Miranda, who's a really good defensive first baseman. Uh, You've got a freshman in Zach Wattis who has an electric bat but it's still kind of learning the first base position. So there's depth There's depth all over this infield, really, truly. I know we haven't talked too much about the middle infield because that's more stat, said. I mean, you've got Silva, obviously, is the incumbent at shortstop. Ole Miss graduate transfer Peyton Chatagnier going to start at second base. Um, the only guy on the roster with a, a World Series ring, by the yeah. way. He won one with Ole Miss back in 2021. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that I think that the team is in pretty good shape though, from a, from a position by position standpoint, um, just with the talent that they have and the depth that they've got. You know, I, I think that we talked about this with basketball early, but the ability to mix and match, to ride the hot hand, to give guys rest, to be able yeah. to go defensive replacements late in games. Uh, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of power at the top of this lineup, the heart of this lineup. There's a lot of guys that can, can hit the ball out. Um, and then there's a lot, you know, I think we've also heard them talk about, you know, guys that aren't necessarily going to hit home runs and they're not going to steal mm-hmm. as many bags as they did a season ago, because that was, you know, obscene. But, but these are guys that are going to hit a lot of doubles, a lot of gappers. They're going to get spray the ball over, all over the field. They can, they can really adapt to different situations. So, you know, Sarlos is going to have some roster yeah. management to, to deal with here. He's got to keep the challenge. happy. Yeah, that's a challenge, but it seems the one thing that we've been able to consistently say, especially under Sarlos, is that God, he's he's a great communicator, um, mm-hmm. and guys seem to really understand their roles and understand how to earn opportunities. And he does reward guys that do things the right way. Um, yeah. And so, if anybody can keep a a bit, you know, rosters are a little bigger now than they've been previously. Too, mm-hmm. you know, the the post COVID roster expansions continued. Um, but if he can keep guys bought in and playing their roles and he can find innings for those young guys, those, those young superstar freshmen, um, while they continue to learn the game, um, then this is a team that can certainly be special. Um, obviously, a lot of that is going to come down to pitching. And while we know Cole Klecker is elite and we know, you know, Peyton Tolley is like looks the part and has has the accolades previously. Until we see these guys, you know, toe the rubber here this weekend, uh, there are certainly some some question marks um, across this, both the starting rotation and um, when it when it comes to you know kind of the middle and late innings of who's going to fill those roles. Um, you know, in, in the last couple minutes here, my dogs are absolutely losing their minds. I haven't fed them yet, but um, in those last couple minutes, what do we need to know? You know, this this, this weekend, these first couple weeks of the season, what should we be watching for out of this pitching staff? Um, I think. A couple of different things. So th- the experience that these guys have 
at certain spots in, in the rotation and in the bullpen has come other places, but that doesn't lessen its value. And so you've got Peyton Tolley, who is one of the one of the top tier elite players in college baseball, two way player, Golden Spikes nominee this year. He's on the watch list for the for essentially the Heisman Trophy of college baseball. Um, not only is he probably going to end up hitting third or fourth in the lineup because he's a absolute monster at the plate, um, but he's going to be at least for this opening weekend your opening day and Friday night starter. Uh, and I think people need to understand how incredibly rare that is because I think there's only one other guy in college baseball who's probably going to be able to say the same thing this year, and that's Jack Caglione at Florida. Um, and so the fact that he was able to come in and do the work and mesh with the culture and take coaching from not only Sarlos but from pitching coach Dave Lawn and you know being being a guy who – has the level of talent that Peyton Tolley has to enter a new space and then just to be fully willing to buy into the culture and the coaching, I think is really rare. Um, and so you have a guy who has already done everything the right way since the day he stepped on campus and he got rewarded with the Friday starting, starting gig. I think part of the reason that he's starting on Friday and not Saturday or Sunday is because with a weekend rotation of Tolley and Klecker and Zach Morris from Arkansas, You've got two lefties, and you generally don't want lefties pitching back-to-back games <clears throat> because it makes them less effective when you have two days in a row of seeing a left-handed pitcher. And so going lefty-righty-lefty gives you the opportunity to split the lefties in the weekend rotation. And like I was talking about with Sarlos today, uh, I wrote about it for Horned Frog Blitz earlier today, You know that gives you a, a chance to really put Cole Klecker in a pivotal spot on Saturdays as well. Because if you think about the flow of a weekend for college baseball, there's opportunities throughout the weekend to either choose to use your high leverage arms or to let them get some rest. Typically on a Friday, you're facing the other guy's ace. Their Friday games are typically more low scoring. They're closer. They're more competitive because you're, you're going best on best really. And so there's more likelihood that in later innings, you're going to need some of your high leverage bullpen guys. For TCU that year, this year, that's going to be Ben Abelt as the closer. We're going to see a lot of Andrew Moziello in late game situations, Kyle Ayers in late game situations as well. Um, those are probably your <clears throat> seventh, eighth, ninth inning guys for the most part. But if you're pitching them all on Friday because you're, you're trying to protect a two run lead, you really don't want to roll those guys out there again on Saturday. Yeah, And so you need a workhorse who's going to eat innings up for you on Saturdays. And Cole Klecker showed that he was capable of doing that. I think he pitched into the seventh inning. And I, I believe it's like 11 starts last year. 10 or 11 starts last year he pitched into the seventh inning. And <clears throat> so he's shown the ability to, to go deep into games. Uh, and that gives you the opportunity to rest some of those high leverage arms, in theory, obviously, on Saturdays. Which means that you're more likely to be able to use them on Sunday when you're either trying to close out a series or scrap a win or, or whatever it might be, you've got your best available for those Sunday games. I think that this weekend rotation has a tremendous amount of potential. I'm also fully aware that at le- that eight pitchers for TCU in 2023 made at least one start on the yeah. weekends. 
They used six different combinations of weekend rotations last year. And I believe it's 14 weekends of baseball. (laughs) And so there was not a lot of consistency with TCU's weekend rotation last year. They still managed to overcome that and get all the way to Omaha with the depth that they have this year from a starting pitching perspective. I think that they're okay with, Hey, this weekend we did this next weekend. It might look different. Um, So just because this is the three man rotation for the opening weekend doesn't necessarily mean that it will be that against UCLA in two weeks. I think that's the hope, but it might not be the reality because the reality is right now your Tuesday starter is a guy named Ben Hampton who transferred in from West Virginia and has 41 career big 12 starts under his belt. And he was a first team, all big 12 player last year. And he's going to be your Tuesday guy, which means that you've got a guy with that level of experience going up against Texas state, going up against DBU, going up against Washington state and some of these Abilene Christians. And you can really kind of hang your hat on a guy midweek to go and get you those midweek games, which are going to be so crucial to your RPI down the road when you're trying to host. And it's been so long. TCU has had a guy. For Tuesday nights, right? Like they've been yeah. mixing and matching that for the last several seasons. And we saw, you know, I think in the last couple of years, how much losing those games can hurt you. Mm-hmm. Winning can, I mean, TCU's got a pretty decent midweek schedule this year. So that they, they actually, like, like you say, you mentioned Texas State, DBU, they've got a couple of P5 opponents, I think, in there too. So, so they have a chance. Those games become really, really important. And, and Ben Hampton being able to be that guy, I think, is, is hugely, hugely important. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, there, is there one guy that you haven't mentioned yet? that right now maybe doesn't have a clearly defined role, but that you expect us to be talking about a lot, maybe a month from now. Do I have to stick with one name? No, Um, I'll give you, I'll give you no more than three. I'm going to limit you a little bit. Okay. I'm excited. Three guys that I'm excited about that. I haven't mentioned yet who we'll probably see from. Okay. You can do this. Um, All right. The first one, first name, Sam Myers. He's another freshman. He had a great fall. I think Sarlos would willingly tell you that he's, you know, not a five tool guy, um, but he's fast as hell and he works his ass off. And I think we'll see him get some playing time in the outfield. He's one of those guys that I think could contribute speed wise on the base paths uh, in a season where TCU's definitely not going to set the record for stolen bases yeah. like they did a year ago. Um, and so I think there's an opportunity. We talked about, you know, Logan Maxwell needing to stay healthy. Luke Boyer's needing to find some consistency at the plate. There's probably some room there for Sammy Myers to get in and get a couple reps and get an opportunity to show what he can do. I'll, I'll burn another name on this, on this position as well, because Jack Arthur is a Weatherford transfer outfielder as well, who hit over 400 last year at Weatherford hit 17 home runs or something like that. Crazy 20 home runs or something like that had not a great fall. Um, I say that to say Trey Richardson had a really ball fa- bad fall last year and look how he turned out yeah, for TCU. So yeah. there are some outfielders kind of waiting in the wings. I think that provide some decent depth there. If they can kind of put some things together. The third name that I'm going to mention is a guy that um, I, I think TCU hoped a lot from in the small amount of time they saw him last year. And he doesn't really have a fully defined role right now. And that's uh, Luis Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. Um, He came in at the end of the year and was a pivotal part of the weekend rotation when they really just needed a guy to get him through a few games. 
and he pitched incredibly well in his first career start at Texas, even though that was a loss. He pitched very, very well against Kansas State and Baylor and helped TCU kind of get off that get off the mat and get rolling near the end of the season, suffered that injury, wasn't able to pitch at all in the postseason, worked through some stuff in the fall, and doesn't really have a defined role. But he's got the versatility because he pitched both in the bullpen. He pitched in kind of matchup-dependent situations, long relief. He started. He's got some versatility where I think the coaches feel comfortable calling on him any given situation to say, go get us an out, go get us six outs, go get us what we, what we need. And he's going to be able to do that for you. And so that's where I think this team has more depth than they did a year ago is in those guys who can just go get you what you need at any given moment. That's especially true from a pitching perspective, even with injuries to Cohen Fieser and Blake Rogers, who are going to be out for the year. Um, there's still a tremendous amount of depth in this bullpen that I think will allow guys to stay fresh uh, for longer into the season. Yeah, I think Rodriguez is one of those guys, if, you, if you're paying attention to people talking about TCU baseball, everybody's <clears> kind of <throat> waiting to see what he can do in, in year two, if he can stay healthy. And I, I think he's a guy that will work his way into a defined role mm-hmm. um, before too long. But uh, And all that, and I didn't even mention like Fisher Ingersoll or yeah. Camden Sauce or hey, listen, any of the, you know, Zach Coyer. We haven't even gotten a we good got one. Time. We're going to have, and, and you know, this is a, a Florida Gulf Coast team that replaces a lot. They still have some talent, but hopefully we're going to see a lot of faces, a lot of new faces, a lot of new pitchers this weekend. Um, yes. We know Sarlus will, will take these first couple of weeks to kind of let guys settle into roles and kind of see different things. Um, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the most important thing is, is we're going to see TCU baseball this weekend. Um, You're damn they, right. got, they get to open up at home. Uh, they got an opportunity to, to put together some early wins. And, Florida Gulf uh, Coast is no joke. They were top 60 RPI team last year. They won 42 games. This is going to be a fun, fun series right out of really the gate. Fun series. Yeah, definitely. There a couple, a couple big names still remaining on that roster from that really good team a year ago. Um, and, and then some really great Tuesday night games coming up right away too. So mm-hmm. it's going to be fun to watch. Um, um, I, I know that, you know, still we want to keep an eye on basketball. They've got, you know, a huge three-week stretch coming up here, um, but it's hard not to get fired up for baseball, too. And some some fun weekends with some double headers coming up, too. Um, I said I'm really sad I won't be out there at the end of the month, but um, going to go actually that weekend that I was going to go, I'm going to be speaking at a football clinic, of all things, which is oh my an gosh. insane thing to say. Um, you and yeah. you and Steve Young gonna get out there yeah, and do me, some co-coaching. Steve, uh, no, but actually we'll be with the uh, with UNR's head coach and speaking. Heck at this yeah. Clinic. yeah, it's crazy. So uh, I'll, I'll be. I'm sure I'll have fun stories from Reno, the biggest little city in <laughs> football uh, in capital Nevada. of the yeah, world. Football capital of the world. So, uh, Jamie, that was awesome info on uh, baseball. It was great to talk a little bit of football, a little bit of basketball this week. A, a, a nice jam packed. I appreciate everybody hanging, hanging with us while I dealt with no internet after the storms a week ago. Um, great mailbag episode that you dropped for anybody that missed that. Uh, we should be back on a regular schedule next week and less we're not. And then we'll just get an episode out. When we can. That's true. So we'll, we'll record and we'll post it and, you will <laughs> and you'll find yeah. it and it'll be great. Yeah, and we'll have baseball to talk about. We'll have basketball to talk about. Mm-hmm. We, we'll be we'll be on the edge of spring football coming back too, which is insane to think about. Yeah, you're Never absolutely stops. right. Never totally stops. crazy. Uh, thank you to our friends at uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network, which we are a part of. Thank you to our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel. We appreciate their support, and most of all, we appreciate 
those of y'all that listen to us, that uh, that share what we're doing, that download, that like, subscribe, rate, review, all of those things, um, it, it means a lot to us. So thanks for thanks for hanging around and listening to us talk to you. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time. Go Frogs. Go Frogs. <laughs>